of Matthew chapter 3 um, for a few minutes together. And as I said earlier, we're going to leave the lights down because they just make it hotter. And so uh, if you can't see your Bible tonight, we'll just, we're going to have everything on the screen and uh, just kind of be one of those things. Um, we have a bunch of fans that we, uh, if you remember when we met on campus, the BCM, we had fans going a lot because that place was super hot as well. But all those fans are being used to dry out flooded houses. So, uh, you know, it's kind of just where we are these days. But um, tonight, you know, we're going to, I'm going to start a series that's going to go really probably all the way through Advent. And it's going to be uh, just based around um, the idea of relationships and uh, different kinds of relationships and, and, and whatever. And so, um, but I want us to look in Matthew chapter 3. And probably, to me, is one of the one of the coolest moments in history. That uh, it would be awesome to be have been able to witness this moment. Um, you know, there are a lot of those kinds of moments as you maybe have studied history or learned about things. And certainly, September 11th is one of those days that uh, it always just it it's never going to be something that our generations are going to forget. And so, there are these big moments in history where significant things happened, and um, this is one of them that's just a few verses in the Bible, but it's pretty phenomenal. Um, to the end of chapter 3, starting in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John uh, to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And so, so Jesus goes to his cousin, John the Baptist, to be baptized. And there's this exchange where John's like, no, 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 I should, you, know, you should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, this, this is what has, all, like all of history has been moving toward this moment. This needs to happen. This is going to happen. And so then John was like, oh, okay, that's right. You're the, here are you and I'm me. And so I'll do whatever you say. And so, and then, then here's where the moment uh, we're going to focus on happens. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In, uh, in Mark and in Luke, it has the same account, but the wording is a little bit different as far as what the voice from heaven said. said in, the, in those gospel accounts, it says, You are my beloved Son, and you I am pleased. It's very direct and very personal. Um, so to think about this just for a moment, um, you have Jesus who uh, left heaven, came to earth, lived, let's say, 30 years or so, and now is the moment when his public ministry will begin. This is the inauguration of that ministry. This is the moment when, when, it, when it all happens. He's been um, preparing, in terms of his earthly body, he's been preparing for this for 30 years. 
And in this moment of his baptism, we see him come up out of the water. We see the the Holy Spirit take a form, something like a dove, and descend upon him. And we hear the Father speaking from heaven about who this is and how pleased he is with him, his beloved son. This is a big, big moment. And we see this relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit that, that gives us something, something to, uh, to draw from. It puts in some things into perspective that is it's just very important to us. See, we were hardwired to be connected uh, with other people. It's, 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 it's how we're made. It's how God made us. We're hardwired to be connected to people. And, and in these connections, in these relationships, we find some of life's greatest joys and some of life's greatest pain. Uh, we find tremendous potential for idolatry. We find uh, the source of our sanctification and maturing. That when Scripture speaks and says, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another, we hear that and we're like, okay, yeah, I get that. Because it's in our relationships and the friction that sometimes happens and, and through those connections with one another that we are made into the kinds of people Jesus died for us to become. We were created to be. And so relationships are, are um, they're this, just this amazing gift that sometimes goes awry and sometimes they're exactly what they need to be. And so over the next you know, couple of months, we're going to look at you know, friendship and family and marriage and Parenting and being a neighbor and being a, a co-worker, you know, an employer, an employee, a client, a, a church member, how you view yourself, um, how you view the people that you don't know, how you even view your relationship to creation. We're going to look at all these different kinds of connections that God has given us, but we have to keep in mind that uh, all of these things find their origin and their ideal and their redemption in the fact that we were made in the image of God to have relationships with each other. And so the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is the starting point for every other relationship we have in our lives. And so that's basically what I'm saying is what I talk about tonight, even in the, the, the heat and the whatever, is going to be referenced for the next couple of months uh, over and over and over again. So uh, let me just kind of make a few points and then we'll get into the, the kind of the conclusion of things. Um, when, you, when we talk about the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, uh, there are a couple of ideas that kind of roll around in there. Uh, there's this, this term Trinity that uh, has been coined, and it's this idea that's been drawn from uh, all of Scripture packed together. You, won't, you can't find the word Trinity in the Bible. It's, a, it's this doctrinal uh, summation of what the Bible teaches. Um, but there are a couple of things to keep in mind. One is that there is just one God. That we can talk about the Father and the Son and the Spirit, but there, the Bible is very clear there's just one God. Um, on the screens, we'll put up Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. This might sound familiar to us. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Um, that one God idea was very unique in that part of the world at that time, that, that there was uh, just worship of all kinds of different gods. There's a sun god and a moon god and a harvest god and a water god and all these different things. But Israel was unique because God was speaking to them saying there's only one. We see it there in, 
in, in that passage, we see it in Isaiah 45 and 1 Timothy 2 and James 2, uh, that there's just this one true God, but this one true God eternally exists in three distinct persons. So when we talk about Father, Son, Spirit, uh, that's a part of the mystery is that there's three, yet they're one. Three distinct persons, uh, but they are one God. And so Father, Son, and Spirit, when you say distinct persons, it just means that, that they're able to, they think, they feel, they speak, they act. Um, we see this in Genesis 1, Matthew 3, 2 Corinthians 13. In 1 Peter 1, the opening of 1 Peter, this is uh, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, uh, in those places, you know that whole deal. Uh, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. We see those three, God the Father, Jesus is the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. We see them mentioned all throughout the, the New Testament. And so it may, it's one of those mysteries that we're never going to understand. People always, they'll try and say, oh, well, the Trinity, it's like a tree. There's the branches and the trunk and the roots. Or it's like an egg. There's the, the, there's the yellow part and the white part in the shell. Or it's like a, like a man who's a son and he's a father and he's a husband. None of those things really fully explain the Trinity. It is a unique mystery that no analogy can, can really just nail it. And I think God did that on purpose. It makes us, it stretches our faith and our ability to, to feel like we have to understand all the way down to the most minute detail everything in the world. Here, God says, you're just going to have to trust me that this is how it is. And so within those realities, uh, I, was, I was thinking about this quote from Andrew Murray. He says, all earthly things are the shadows of heavenly realities. That all the things that we experience on this earth are really just reflecting something that's greater than us. And so, we were made in the image of God. And so all of our relational connections were built into us because He, he within Himself, He is this relational community. That God is a community within Himself. That the Father, the Son, and the Spirit... Uh, and those relationships, when we're made in their image, it's because uh, like that's, like that's where that desire comes from. That's that desire that babies have to connect with their mom and then eventually their dad as, the, as they get older. And, and that's where the desire to be a part of a family and the desire to belong in a community and the desire for friendship. And that's where loneliness can come from. And that's where rejection hurts so much. And, and that's, that's why we're kind of always looking to be a part of some group of people somewhere and to feel valued and wanted. All of that is because we're built, it's built into us as image bearers of God to connect with other people, because God himself is connected, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so in that text about the, in Jesus' baptism, we get a glimpse into that relationship. Here's Jesus, the Son who has left heaven and come to earth, being obedient to this plan that has been formed, and the Father says, you are my beloved, like I love you and I'm so pleased and proud of you. And the Spirit comes in and, and takes bodily form and like, tangibly comes and, and blesses him and, and sustains him. And there is this affirmation and this like high five that happens with, between the Trinity of like, this is the moment. We've been waiting for this for so long. That's because God himself is a community. And so all of our relationships stem from 
uh, from that in, in and of itself. And so when we talk about relationships, uh, there are, are two kind of ideas that, that kind of rise to the surface that might be helpful for us in, in thinking in terms of, of the Trinity and as we go forward in this series. One of them is the word connection, and the other one is the word interaction. When you're thinking about any kind of relationship, whether it's people who are they're related, they're not related, you know, they're married, they're, uh, they're enemies, like whatever it might need to be, they're connected somehow, and then they have certain kinds of interaction. So the connection is like, well, okay, what kind of bond does this person have? The bond between a mother and a child that she has given birth to is different than that mother and her husband. Those bonds are different. Uh, they're both amazing and they're both beautiful. They're just not exactly the same. Your friendships and all those kinds of things, all those connections that are theirs, what's the connection between two people? The second thing is inter- interaction. What, is, what does that interaction look like? So you can have people who are related by blood, but they hate each other. Or you can have people who are not related by blood, and they might as well be siblings. They're so close, you know. Um, so you have connection and you have interaction that kind of helps you kind of think in terms of relationships. So what is the, what's the connection between father, the Father, Son, and Spirit? And what does their interaction look like that is beneficial for us in terms of thinking about the Trinity? Um, let's take them one at a time. First thing, connection. What's the nature of the bond between the Father and the Son and the Spirit? Um, if you want to turn to Colossians 3, you can do that. Um, but you can just... Look at the screens, too. Um, in Colossians 3, we, we, we kind of see a little bit of what might answer this question. Um, what's, the, what's the nature of the bond between them? Well, the one part of it is that they have all, they're all fully and equally God. That's part of the bond. That there is, is this, like, they're all Yahweh. Like, they're all... God, there isn't any sort of, of, of hierarchy between them. There isn't any sense of, um, well, the Father is kind of the ultimate, and then Jesus is like his like, wingman, so he's like goose, right? And then the Holy Spirit is like, you all with me? Yeah, I know it's hot. Uh, and the Holy Spirit's sort of like JV, like he kind of came along later, and so he's sort of not really, you know, he'll get there eventually, but uh, he's just kind of the errand boy for the Father and the, and the Son. Like there, there tends to be different, different streams throughout history who have taken different positions on that, and it's kind of become an issue, and uh, it's been very divisive, and rightfully so. Um, But there is equality between them, that they are all fully and equally God. There is no division there. Um, In Colossians 3, verse 17, we see this, uh, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there's the deity of the Father. And then in chapter 2, 8 and 9, we have this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That Jesus is fully God, just like the Father is fully God. Um, There isn't any sort of first, second, third place. It's all there. And then in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira lie about the money that they, uh, they sold a piece of property and they kept part of it for them, themselves. And the text says, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? And it kind of says some more stuff and then says, uh, you don't lie to man, you actually lie to God. There's this equating of the Spirit. 
Every time when they're all three mentioned, they're all three mentioned. Father, Son, Spirit. Um, so the bond between them is the fact that they are all God. Like That's the connection that they have with each other. So we have to continue to let God remind us that, that there isn't a hierarchy, there isn't a first, second, third place, that the Father is not more powerful than the Spirit, that it is 100% equal among all three of them, that that's a part of the bond and the connection that they have. The other part of that is they have always been that way, that they have eternally existed as God. If you read the Bible like a story, at first it seems like God the Father was around, and then the New Testament, the Son kind of appears into the story. And then uh, after the Gospels, you know, after the resurrection, then the Holy Spirit comes in. And it kind of seems like maybe they've entered at, at different points. Maybe they're created at different points. But Jesus was not created. The Holy Spirit was not created. The Father was not created. They have eternally existed this way. Um, we won't look at these verses. You just need to trust me. But in Genesis 1, and 3, uh, this is in the creation narrative. God is, there's a conversation between them. They're saying, let us make man in our image. There's a plurality that's there. We see it in John 1. We see it in Colossians 1. That this, from the beginning of time, this has been the case. And so that's the, that's the connections that we're seeing is that they are fully and equally God. And they have always been fully and equally God. That from the very beginnings of anything at all possible, this, like, this is all that they've known. And so there is a connection that they have of saying, like, we, Father, Son, and Spirit, we are the one God, and we've always been the one God. And so, of course, there's this, there's this uh, camaraderie, maybe. Maybe that's a weird word. But, but when you see that moment of Jesus' baptism, that's why that moment is it's so profound, because you're like, oh, man, they, these guys are all, I say guys, you know what I mean, these guys are all on the same page. Like, this is a unified front, there's a connection that is there. Beloved Son, whom, with whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit is coming, and there's this amazingness that's there. So they're connected, but, but then what does their interaction look like? It's one thing to be bonded. It's one thing to be God from the beginning. But, I mean, we've seen enough superhero movies to know that gods tend to rival each other, right? Very powerful beings tend to, to be competitive, and they tend to, to kind of like jockey for position. And, or there's jealousy, or there's a good guy and a bad guy. Uh, what does their interaction look like? Uh, let me tell you three points real quick. And I'm talking fast because I know it's hot. Okay? Um, let me tell you three of them. The first one, if we're talking about how do they behave toward one another, uh, there's a holy love that exists between them. That there is holiness. I mean, there, there's a perfection that's there. If they're all fully and equally God and have been so forever, then they all share every attribute of God. That the Holy Spirit is just as omniscient as the Father. That they are just as eternal as one another. That Jesus has eternally existed just like the Spirit has. All of those attributes, everything about God, all the character, all the everything is there. And so how do they interact with one another? It's out of that love. It's not love like you and I necessarily know automatically. It's it's agape. It's, it's love that is self-sacrificing. It's, it's saying, I will your good so much that I'll, I'll sacrifice whatever it takes to get you there. So when Jesus is there and he's being baptized in the water, and he comes up and God's saying, look, look how much you're willing to sacrifice for, the, for, for this plan that we have put together. Look how much you're willing to do to honor the Father 
to redeem broken humanity. Look what you're willing to do. That kind of love, that kind of of, uh, support and that willingness to do whatever it takes, um, that's how they love one another, that there's this relationship there that exists. It's perfect. Sin has not entered into their love. Um, We kind of struggle with that kind of love because we don't, we understand love and we can kind of understand agape when God helps us, but, but we're, we're still recovering from our brokenness. And so even in, the, even in the most loving relationships that you have with other people, your own brokenness enters into that and your love can become, it become selfish. It can become um, skewed. It, it, it can become distorted sometimes. Uh, and that's something that we're, we're all fighting that all the time to have this pure, perfect love and yet between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they have, they have not been impacted by sin the way that you and I have. That in those times when, when we're, we're in here, we're singing the praises of Jesus and we're just lifting His name. We're just, it's just the roof's about to just blow off. Um, the Spirit isn't sitting there being like, what about me, guys? He's not being like, oh, look at Jesus getting all the credit again. You know? The Father's not like, I'm the one that came up with the plan. Where's my worship song? They are championing each other because they have not been broken by sin the way that we have. There is no rivalry. There is no vain conceit. There is, there is only holy, perfect love between them. They are incapable of any other kind of relationship. And so perfect love finds its origin in that one place. We've never seen anything like love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. As deep as your, as your love is for your kids, if you have kids and you think, you're like, this is a bond, I can't imagine anything stronger than this. The Father and the Son and the Spirit, by comparison, it's, just, it's completely other. So what does their relationship look like? Holy love. The, the second thing, there's a, there's a distinction in their function, but yet they're completely supportive of each other. That we see in, in creation, the Father dreams up the plan, the Son goes and actually makes everything, and the Spirit sustains the power uh, and the presence of God in creation. Um, they each have a different role, but they're all supporting one another. We see in redemption, the Father dreams up the redemption plan, the Son is sent by the Father, and He says yes, and He comes, and he comes to the earth, and He lives a perfect, sinless life, And he dies on a cross, and the father kills the son. And the son says, yes, kill me. And then the the father raises the son through the power of the spirit. And the spirit comes and sustains his people. And that whole plan involved different members of the Trinity in different kinds of ways. There's a distinction in in the role that they play and the way that they function. But yet there's 100% support between them. And that is because they're equal. When there's true equality, then you say, yeah, that's, you play your role, I play my role. In a marriage, when there is true equality between the husband and the wife, then they say, okay, well, how about you do these things and I do these things? And they're like, well, how about I do these things, you do these things? And you kind of work that out. And after several years of marriage, you kind of hit a rhythm. And that happens when there's true equality. When there's inequality, there's, you know, that's a whole other story. But we kind of understand what, that, what that's like. But if there is holiness in place, and there's holy love in place, and there's equality in place, and it's eternally in place, all those things come together to where the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they're just firing on all cylinders. They're constantly saying yes to one another because they're perfect, and they're holy, and they're good. 
And so there's holy love, there's a distinction in their function, but there's unity in their support. And then the third thing, they're basically the perfect community. You might think that your community is perfect. You might think that your community is not perfect. The best earthly communities we ever experience pale in comparison to the Father and the Son and the Spirit. There's love that is unconditional. There's love that is eternal. There's equality. There's support. Everything about their relationship makes them the perfect community. And you know what that perfect community does? That perfect community looks at us and instead of saying, we kind of got our stuff together and y'all are kind of a train wreck. So how about y'all just stay over there and we're going to stay over here. That perfect community looks at our train wreck of a life and all of our different communities and all of our relationships and all of our brokenness. That perfect community says, you know what? We want you to be a part of us. But you can't do anything about that. So, so we're going to form a plan that makes a way for you to be a part of us. And if you want to be, if you want to be a part of that holy, perfect love, that, that equality, that kind of vision, that kind of omniscience, that kind of sovereignty, if you want to be a part of that kingdom that exists between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, then we want you to come on in. And if you don't want to be a part of that, then you don't, you don't have to be a part of that, but, but we don't want you to be in there. That kind of self-sacrificing inclusion... That's the basis for all of our relationships. That's, that's where marriage finds its strength. That's where your friendships finds its strength. That's where a church community finds its strength. That's where everything finds its point of origin is in the way the Father and the Son and the Spirit love each other and support one another. And it requires this inward transformation where they say, hey, uh, you need to be like us. We'll help, you make, we'll help make you like us. And so as we go throughout the semester, we'll keep coming back to this as like, no, this is, that's the model for all of our relationships. But for tonight, in just these next few moments, can we just maybe be amazed by the fact that God would want anything to do with us? You know? That he would want us to be a part of that perfect thing. Don't you know that uh, you ever feel like, like in those times, maybe in different points in your life, where you kind of had a friend group, and you're like, this is so great, we're going to be friends forever. And you were like threatened by anyone else coming into that. Like I've referenced before, there's a scene on the show Friends, where they're all sitting in the apartment, and someone knocks on the door, and they all look at each other like, who else would come in? We're all here. And even when Phoebe started dating Mike, it was so hard for Mike to break into the thing. You know, like, isn't that really how community works where you're kind of like, I don't want anybody to mess with this perfect chemistry that we have. And yet the Father, the Son, and the Spirit said, we want these, these weird, broken people who are actually our enemies, we want them to be a part of us so bad that one of us is going to go die for it. And the other one of us is going to kill that one for it. And then the other one's going to get to go in and raise him from the dead, but have to witness the whole thing. And it's going to be terrible, but it's going to be way more beautiful than terrible. That's the image that we're made in. That's what we're striving for. But isn't it amazing that he wants us to be a part of him? The communion table represents that for us. It's the body and the blood of Jesus that says, hey, this is the gateway into the Trinity, into that kind of life and that kind of kingdom. He says, come to me, all who are weary 
and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And that rest is found in Him. And I know that we're all tired. Our whole community is tired. And sitting in a hot room doesn't make you less tired. But we're weary. And Jesus is constantly saying, come to me. Whether it's in salvation the first time or continual sanctification, He's saying, the Trinity, the, the this is my Son, my beloved Son who I'm well pleased. He's saying, come into that place. Come into that relationship. That's where your rest is found. That's where your hope is found. That's where everything is found. And so we're going to take communion together. And we're going to do it. If you're, if you're here on Sundays, we'll do it like we normally do. Taylor's going to be down here. And if you're a first-timer, you're, if you're a Christian, you're welcome. Like, come on down. This is the kind where you tear the bread off yourself. And let me just say this. You can tear a big piece of bread off. It's fine. Don't get a little bit off because then all your knuckles go down in the juice and everyone else has to do that after you. Um, don't be shy. Uh, tear, but you tear the bread off and you dip the bread in the juice and you take that and we kind of line up and do this together. And over and over and over again, Taylor's going to say, the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you. And as we do that tonight, can we maybe think, this is, this is my invitation, my inclusion in that perfect, holy love found in the Trinity that God would want anything to do with me. That, so much that He would make a way for me to mess up His awesome community, but you can't mess it up. So that's kind of where we're going to land for tonight. So the band's going to come, and Taylor's going to be down here. Let's stand together. Let me pray for us. We're going to take communion, and uh, that'll be our time together. Let me pray. God, what, a, um, what an amazing gift you are to us. That really you should want nothing to do with us, uh, just based on our own merit and track record and all that. But yet, yet you have opened up your life to us. We who are made in your image, we, were, we who have been have been searching for you our whole lives. It's only because you came to us that we're able to find you. And we are so grateful. And so would you help us in, the, in a warm room, after we've been through so much lately, would you help us to approach you, uh, whether it's through communion, or through prayer, or through song, or maybe a mixture of those things, would you help us to realize exactly what we've been invited into? Would you help us to think about that moment when Jesus came out of the water and heard, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And he saw that, that uh, dove descending on him. And just to see that kind of love and community and support and to know that a part of what was about to happen was uh, we were about to be invited in. Invited into something that by our own effort, we just it would not be ours. So as we sing and as we uh, as we take communion together and as we just even just standing in line, would you help us to just be reminded of the magnitude of what we're a part of? We love you. Thank you for loving us first. And pray this in your name. Amen.